am Jeff Smith and welcome to the Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and to share them here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going, and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Eleni Fuaxis, who also says failure can be your best friend. Eleni is an author, teacher, actress, model, mother of two, and a budding entrepreneur. She threw caution to the wind and left a lucrative career in sales in New York City to pursue her childhood dream of acting. And she was 30 years old when she did it, much to the dismay of her friends and her family. And without any industry knowledge or contacts, she launched a successful acting and modeling career that has spanned over two decades and is still going strong today. In addition to this, she's recently published her first children's book called Picky Patrick. During the height of COVID, she switched gears yet again and became a certified teacher in New York City to serve children and give back to her community. She's overcome self-doubt, divorce, and a multitude of obstacles to reinvent herself more times than even she can count. Eleni is living a purpose-driven life and hopes to inspire and motivate other men and women to get out of their own way, to get out of their comfort zone, to listen to their intuition, and to find their life's passion and to live it out loud. This is a story of challenging your fears, making change happen, realizing your self-worth. Eleni is a successful businesswoman in New York City and of course will be revealing all of the secrets of her success and what it takes to get there. So let's bring in this amazing woman herself. Welcome to the show, Eleni Fuaxis. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, wow. you... Quite an introduction. I hope I live up to all that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> you look amazing. And uh, how are you feeling today? Oh, I am feeling so full of gratitude, truly. I so love that. So blessed to be here. I love that. You know one of the secrets of success is gratitude. So we'll be talking more about that later. But before we get into that and your book about Picky Patrick, I want to find Eleni the person. So as we usually start these shows, I'd like to know, where were you born? What was life like as a child for you? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? 
So I was born in the Bronx here in New York, and I'm from Greek American descent. I'm first generation, and I grew up on one of six kids, and we're all a year apart. So my mom and dad were busy making babies. <laughs> <laughs> And they're very good at it, <laughs> as most of the the generation in that generation, most of them were, and uh, they didn't have their devices and television. So, yeah, lots of free time on their hands. So, one of six kids, um, and growing up, being one of six kids and being so close in age, I have two brothers, I have three sisters. I felt, I think I had a lot of middle child syndrome. Like I did not, my parents always wanted me to be like my older sisters and they always measured me, you know, and compared me to them. And that was something that really truly affected me as a child and still has even into adulthood. I never felt like I was measuring up. I never felt good enough. I never felt smart enough. As a matter of fact, they would say to me, you're not as smart as your other siblings. <laughs> you wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wow. Mean, it really, my, just to give you a little more history, my parents are both from Sparta. And it's the it's uh, in Greece and it's the mainland and the Spartans were known for their military, and uh, it, you know a lot of people know the famous movie the Three Hundred and all of that and you picture like these brawny you know uh, warriors and that's really truly who my parents my my father and my mother came from, so they there was no crying. There was no showing emotion. There was no pity. There was no excuses. They were hardcore. And they came here and they were working hard. And they, they had the restaurant business. And I was, you know, a young girl trying to find myself and express myself. And there was no place for that. So they shut it down. They were like basically ruling the roost. They were like, you're under my roof. This is how it's going to go. This is what you're going to wear. This is how you're going to behave. This is who your friends are going to be. These are the sports that you're allowed to engage in. Your hair, your makeup, your boyfriends, they try to dictate everything. And it suffocated me. As a child, I felt suffocated. And I rebelled. And... um I, I think that that's very normal when children are being suffocated and they're not allowed to express themselves. Um, it's normal to really rebel. And I think that a lot of times, like now as a mother, I have two boys, uh, two teenage boys. And as a mother and as an educator and as a teacher, I'm always when, when other teachers or administrators point out a child and say, watch out for this bad child, this tough child, this problem child. And like, they're acting out for a reason. Can we try to understand what that child is trying to communicate, what they're trying to convey, what their needs are, where they're coming from? Like the why is so important. Like, and let's not judge and label. And I was labeled. I was labeled the, the problem child. I was labeled the stupid child. And as an adult, I'm 52 years old. I still 
have worked my entire life to overcome those limiting beliefs. And they have held me back in so many ways, Jeff. Oh my gosh. It's one of the worst lessons my parents ever taught me. Taught me. They taught me hard work. They had a restaurant business and they would literally, from eight years old, they would bring me to the restaurant. My mom was the chef. My dad was working at the grill. And my mom would take me into the kitchen after school and sit me on these huge plastic bins. And I was making burgers and patties and chicken salad and peeling shrimp for hours on end. So I learned, yes, hard work from a very young age. And then as I got older, they would put me at the cash register and then waiting tables. And I remember finally getting my four-year degree and my father calling me and saying, get your ass to the diner. Like you're late for work. You're, you know, where are you? And I was like, I graduated. I have a four-year degree. Didn't you come to this country to give me a better life? Do you still expect me to wait tables? Like, it just was, I, I was astounded. There was such a huge disconnect. And that's what they expected. And that was the life and the childhood that I had. Now, I do want to add that I had a lot of incredible memories. I have, you know, incredible family, incredible support system. My siblings are some of the most incredible human beings that I have ever met. I don't say that lightly. Um, I say it because it's true. But that was, you know, so much of the, the root of my upbringing. Um, and, you know, a lot of hard work, but also a lot of like, this is how it's going to be. And I feel like in my adult life, I have tried to embrace self-discovery and figure out, who am I really? What do I want out of my life? And what do I have to offer? You know, that's fascinating because my parents were the same. And I think as kids, we go one of two ways. We rebel as you did, or we do as I did. And I did the opposite to you. I shrunk and became invisible. So, I, I say to my kids, I was a passenger in my parents' lives. Mm. And now my kids, I'm a passenger in their lives. You know you want the best for them. But my parents were not mentors. They were oppressive, very loving, uh, but very oppressive. And like you, I had to conform. And I, I was the guy that sat at the back of the class and was quiet and invisible. And I, my kids now, they say I'm a rebel. So I, <laughs> my rebellion phase is coming out now. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I guess that rebellion has to come out at some point. So let me take you back again. So having gone through all that, what were your dreams and aspirations? What did you, when you grew up, what did you want to be? I remember as a very young girl, um, knowing that I wanted to be an actress, knowing that I wanted to wow. be on television. I can't say exactly why. It's not like there was one person on television I wanted to emulate. It wasn't like I knew anybody even remotely in the industry. What I do remember is that once I started voicing this, um, my mother and 
my father, but especially my, my mother would shut it down. She, I mean, to the point where she said to me, let's be clear, Lenny, this is not an option. If you ever do this, you will be on your own. I will disown you. There will be no acting. There will be no modeling. There will be no such thing. And if you do that, you will be disowned. What? Yes, truly. What? So, yeah, it makes me emotional to even repeat those things because when you say that to a child, you are squashing and uh, extinguishing their soul. And I don't think they knew that at the time. I don't think they know that now. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when I became a mother, it was one of the most profound moments in my life because, number one, it took me so many years to have my children. I battled with infertility for almost a decade. And then when I finally had them, I promised myself that I would take a back seat and that I would allow them to blossom and to thrive in their own way. And I have two beautiful boys and incredibly um, uh, rambunctious and, you know, uh, like just very, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just self-sufficient and they're just so, you know, um, unimpressed by me and they're just like full of angst and they're, you know, dynamic and they're incredible and moody and, but what they are is they are whole human beings. And they're, and, they're free to be whoever they are. Yeah. And, and that's so, and, and they're very spirited and, you know, in, in their own way as teenagers, but I feel like they're a whole person. And I feel like that's because, you know, I allowed them to thrive and I allowed them to, to be their own individual. And even though I have two boys and they're close in age, I never tried to compare them. I never said to my older son, Zen, you know, why don't you be more like Billy or to Billy? You know what? Why can't you get the grades that Zen gets? Why can't you, you know, aspire to be like your brother? I'm like, Billy has talents and gifts that Zen doesn't have. And Zen has gifts that Billy doesn't have. So I really um, am proud of myself as a mother for allowing them to really find their own uniqueness and their own voice. And I think that every parent should do that. That's the greatest gift you could give a child. For sure. So your parents have taught you how not to be a parent with your own child. There are always lessons in life. Yes, I love that you said that because teaching someone what not to do mm -hmm. is also equally great as life. important. So, equally. Billy and Zen, which one's your favorite? I don't have. I do not. Is that a trick question, Jeff? Because it's asking me which arm do you want to lose, your right or your left? Which leg should we take? Like I cannot truly. My mom used to say that. Oh, I can't distinguish any of the kids. All six. I love you all the same. And I was like, Yeah, right. Bullshit. Yeah. But I don't. I. I mean, I don't have six kids like my mom, but. 
I truly cannot distinguish them. There are days where I wake up and I'm like, oh man, Zen is really giving me a run for my money. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, Billy's really teaching me a lesson today, boy. But <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't separate them. Yeah, they're all lessons in life, right? Yeah, truly. And you know what? I will say children are our greatest teachers. For sure. For sure. I love that George Benson song, The Greatest Love of All. Do you know this one? Yeah. It begins, I'm not going to sing. Um. <laughs> I, I can play keyboards and stuff, but singing is not my thing. But the, uh, the lyrics to become, I believe that children are a future. Teach them well. And it, it's just a beautiful song. And I listen to that over and over and over I did do karaoke once. <laughs> it didn't end well. It didn't start well either. <laughs> but I, I sang it's it. It's not fun going to karaoke <laughs> when you can actually sing. I would much rather go with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I was looking at my daughters when I was singing those lyrics and meaning it for them. So it was a beautiful moment for me anyway. I'm not sure about anybody else. Okay, so moving your story on a little then. Uh, you decided to write a book. Uh, you decided to write a children's book. So why write? And particularly, why a children's book? That's a great question. I did not decide to write this book. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before, but I'm just going on the record. Um, I was a busy working mom, and I recognize the importance of reading to my children, like so many other parents do, but I was exhausted by the end of the day. I, you know, my, my husband, I was married, you know, for almost 20 years. And when we had our children, he was not engaged in helping. Wow. So I was literally doing, you know, everything. Single and them single-handedly, working, making the lunches, going to work, coming, picking them up, going to the parent-teachers conferences, going on the chaperones, the class trips, the basketball games, the taekwondo, organizing the birthday parties, putting together the favors, packing the lunches i mean every single aspect okay so i'm not saying he didn't love them but he did not wake up in the middle of the night and do feedings he was not reading to them he was not you know yeah so most of it fell on me and you know what i so many times i was exhausted i was falling asleep and i could not continue with finishing the book and finishing the story. And sometimes I was skipping pages because I just wanted to get to the end because I was so exhausted. So what I started doing by default is storytelling, making up my own stories. And, Beautiful. you know, I, I, I was I was already acting at, at that point, and I feel like I was always an actress at heart, an actress, a storyteller, so it did come naturally for me. So I started 
you know, telling them stories. And my children, you know, were so engaged and thrilled. And sometimes it was a curse because it would keep them up longer. And they would tell them, this is a damn story. I was like, you sleep already. And then I was like, I'm making it too fun. And So who was enjoying it more, you or them? Oh, my goodness. I really. And then I was like, what am I doing? And then I was like, I got to make it a little less interesting. And then I was, you know, what was happening is they were eventually falling asleep. And the following morning, Jeff, they would wake up and the first thing out of their mouth would be, Did, you know, what happened with the story, mom? What what happened with the ending? Did this character make it back in time? Did they save the world? Did they? And I was like, I do not remember. I was barely awake. Do you understand? So my kids were like, write it down mom and i was like what and they were like yeah write write them down the stories you have to write them down and i was like wow i was like this is way too much work i was like i you know i don't have the time for this <laughs> so i was like no 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 and they kept on they pressed on i kid you not they what my son then came home one day and said to me mom I hope you wrote your story down. I talked to Miss Clancy. She's going to let us make copies. She's going to let us use her copy machine. We're going to put the make copies of the book. We're going to, I was like, what book? What is he? He was like, we're going to put, make photocopies of your story and sell it in front of the house with our lemonade stand. <laughs> and then these kids were in the kitchen making homemade lemonade. I kid you not. I have pictures of me with my boys in front of the house. They were like five and seven years old around the t around that time. And I was like, wow, they have this all planned out. If only, if only it were that simple. <laughs> so they really, truly inspired me to start collecting stories. And they were the catalyst for this entire thing. And just to, to bring it full circle for your audience, it took me eight years. Wow. Wow, it's a shame I didn't know you then. We could have got we could have got it done a lot quicker than that. <laughs> I'm sure I've listened to some podcasts, and I'm sure you could have made it happen a lot sooner. Um, life got in the way. Jeff. Yeah, sure. And um, I did have a publisher, as I said, my children inspired me to start collecting stories and writing them down. I had a publisher. Um, I had a contract. I had illustrations that were being worked on. And then, you know, my marriage came undone and I came unhinged completely. It was the darkest time in my life. And I let it all fall by the wayside and I lost myself. I mean, I fell um, off the planet off. I just completely went off the grid. And when I came back on, I reached out to my publisher and they were like, seriously, Eleni? Like, we haven't even heard from you. We, we had no idea what happened to you. you. This contract expired. You can't use these illustrations. You have to start over. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't have the time or the money or the resources to start over. And it truly felt like a death. And the, one of the hardest things was not just going through the pain of uh, the breakup of the marriage and the dissolution, the disappointment, and um, just 
the agony of it all, because um, it was agonizing, it was, wow, I've, I'm letting my children down. I, I made a promise to like write these books and bring them out into the universe and share these stories and I'm letting them down. And um, I vowed that I would embark on a journey to get strong and it took me on a journey of self-discovery and it took me eight years, but I did it. <laughs> and it was not on my timeline, but I got it done. And I am so proud of myself for that. And, you know, I know as parents, we do not give ourselves enough props and credit. So I was like, woohoo, I gave myself like a huge high five. I love Mel Robbins. I know she wrote this book, but I was giving myself, giving myself these high fives and cheering myself on along the sidelines because as you know, it can be a very lonely journey. And I was doing it on my own. And there were so many people who like, you don't know anything about this. Like, really? You're starting again, like this new career that you know nothing about? Aren't you too old for this? And I was like, you know what? That's what you said to me when I was 30 years old. And I told you I wanted to become an actress and a model at the ripe old age of 30 in New York City. So I was like, I accomplished that. Everybody told me I was too old. They told me I was too short. They told me I was too fat. And you know what? I'm still going. So it was like, I will figure this shit out. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not, but you know what? I'm the most resourceful. I'm resilient. I can figure this out. And, you know, I sort of did. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, sort of. <laughs> 10 out of 10, girl. I had a similar thing in that when I decided to write my book about key performance indicators, people were saying, that, that's a terrible idea. That will never work. And besides that, who are you? You're not the person to write it. And no one will buy a book like that. And what I did in my mind, I said to myself, you're telling me your own beliefs and limitations, not mine. So I did it anyway. That's what happened. Not only that, Jeff, I, it resonates with me and I'm sure so many of your listeners. The other thing they always say is, that's been done, girl. Really? A children's book? That it's so oversaturated, that market. Like, uh, there's a million children's books out there. And I'm sure people said to you, like, there's a million books about success, how to be successful. And like, really? Yeah, you're not the person to do that. And I'm like, you know what? I truly believe that we each have our own unique voice and talent. And I can't speak and write in the way that you speak and write. It's so unique that it's like a fingerprint. Absolutely, so yeah. When you're writing your book, it's so unique and it is in its own right different than anything else that's ever been done or written because there's nobody else like you. So, and I love what you said because that's their own insecurity speaking. Yes, for that's sure. Their own um, ego and fear and they're coming from a place of scarcity. And you know what I, I love? Like 
when I, I think it was Steve Harvey, I, I listened to so many, you know, motivational speakers and people, he's like, people, you know, said to me, oh, you're going to make money in comedy. You're going to make money telling jokes. And he's like, step away from the people who don't stir- serve you. Step away from the family that never did anything. Step away from the family and the friends that never started their own business. Step away from the people that never took risks. And I was like, wow, preach it. I was like, it's so powerful. And I have had to do that. I have had to step away from people in my life that were not serving me, that were sucking all of my energy, my creativity. And I'm like, I refuse to let those people in my corner, in my world. And I think that that's a really important thing to share with others. And I love, I love what Sarah Blakely on the owner and founder of Spank said. She said, I didn't spend a year defending why I started this business. I spent a year going after it. In, 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 you know, her mindset and sharing, like, she didn't even tell people because she's like, oh, I'm going to start a company with, like, undergarments for women. And, you know, and you could just hear, you know, all of the rejection and all of, you know, um, the naysayers. And she's like, instead of spending a year defending it, I spend a year going for it. And I think that's powerful. Oh, absolutely. You can get... Uh massively diverted and chasing up the wrong road uh, more speed in the wrong direction just yes. doesn't help right yes. doesn't help but um, I'm writing this book called 11 steps of success and this podcast is a support for that and there's one of the steps that you just mentioned that's so important so I'm just going to pause for a moment and explain what you just said So one of the 11 steps, which is absolutely critical, is having the right support group. If you don't have the right people around you, you won't succeed. So it's about finding what you want and mix with those people. Let me put it like this. If you want to be a millionaire, you need to mix with millionaires. If you want to catch COVID, you need to go be with someone who's got COVID. That's how success works. You know, if you want to be a millionaire and you're surrounded, your whole group, everyone around you, if none of them are a millionaire, you won't, you won't achieve. And that's a critical part. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this some more. You've talked about your husband. If, you're, if your partner is not supportive. Yeah, ex, ex. ex-husband, yes, <laughs> okay, sorry. yes, sorry, sorry, yes. I heard that ex, yeah. please, please, <laughs> give me that ex. <laughs> well, <laughs> you obviously made a very important point that you were not getting the support that you needed. And, you know, I lost a lot of my family members because I went on a journey that they could not see and I had to make a decision and I did and... I lost my brother because of it and other people too. eh? It's tough, but, you know, you just have to decide what you want. Anyway, I'll get back onto your story because I just wanted to say one of the 11 steps is be careful of the people of whose company you keep. 
the people around you. Absolutely. I love, and there's power in proximity. And that's why I think that your podcast is such a gem, truly. Because thank you. There, you know, not everybody, Jeff, has, you know, people, I'm sure listeners are saying, okay, that's, that's a great, you know, um, strategy, but I don't know, millionaires, this, this podcast is the perfect tool and resource for so many people who are saying, I don't know someone like that. I don't know someone who's successful. I don't know someone who's an entrepreneur and took a risk or started their own business. And you know what? You don't, there's a lot, I know so many people who did start businesses and failed, and there's a lot of lessons from those people too. And I have learned so much from failure in my life. And I think that that's something um, to think about as well. Yeah, we're going to come on to that in a moment, but I've not finished with your book yet. So we find out why you've written a book and why a children's book. So your book, Picky Patrick, it's published. So can you summarize the concepts of the book for me, please? Who is it yeah. for? And dare I ask, what lessons does it contain for children? So Picky Patrick is about an eight-year-old boy who seemingly has it all. Yet he's still picky and he's dissatisfied in everything from his snacks to his sneakers to, um, you know, different things like within his life, right? His ears are too big. He thinks his ears are too big. And there's so many children, this resonates with so many kids and parents because sometimes we're making our children something to eat and it's their favorite peanut butter with their favorite jelly on their favorite bread. But kids are like, oh, you, I want this cut this way. They want it cut diagonally. They won't eat it if you cut it horizontally or they need the crust <laughs> off or the squares are not symmetrical. I mean, it gets more and more. It's really, yeah, we could go way, way deep on that one. But um, so, yeah, so he's picky. And really what happens is he has an epiphany and right. he has, he's in school and the teacher gives him an assignment and he becomes frustrated and he can't do it. And he has a negative mindset and he thinks it's impossible and his friend helps him. And he has an epiphany in the book and it completely turns his life around and it teaches him how to embrace what he already has and to let go of chasing perfection because it doesn't exist. And because his life was perfectly imperfect and he didn't realize it. And I'm finding that it's not only resonating with children, but parents as well and educators. And that this is the lesson that we all need to know and practice that we need to be grateful for what is what we do have, that what we have is enough. If you have food on the table, if you have a loving mother, if you have a wonderful teacher who's trying to instruct you and engage with you, if you have a friend who's trying to help you, like really be present and mindful and appreciate those things. So this book really is a launching pad to create self-awareness in children to teach them what what we call social emotional learning. And that's part of the core curriculum here in New York. What about in the UK, Jeff? Do you know if that's part of the core curriculum? Have you heard of social emotional learning? 
I haven't. Maybe has a slightly different name, but um, my daughter got married last week, as you know. And yeah, we are wonderful. Uh, Her her, her husband is the head of English department. So I speak with him a lot about education and what kids go through because he's in senior school with teenagers. Well, I I don't think I could manage that (laughs) on a daily basis for sure. But um, I don't know. There, there, there should. There is something, but I don't want to confuse the two. So I'm going to take the political route and say, and then I don't know. Right. That, that I love. I, that's okay. But my point is, it's it's so imperative for teach for children to learn this that mm-hmm. it has become part of the core curriculum. However, what I found since becoming certified as an elementary school teacher and being in the schools since the height of COVID till this day, day in and day out, is that their teachers and staff and administrators are putting on devices and just putting on YouTube videos. And that's part of their social emotional learning. I'm like, where's the social part? Yeah, I'm like, what? What? This is so twisted. I see you're getting this. When when you're just like, what? And the alarm bells are going off in your head. I, you know, it's like telling me that you get it because I'm just like, what is wrong with this picture? We're trying to teach them social emotional learning and we're sitting there and putting on us, turning on a smart board and telling them to continue watching essentially television during school. So what I'm trying to do with my book, Picky Patrick, is teach children self-awareness, self-love, teach them the social emotional learning that they need to learn, which will serve them throughout their lifetime. Um, and then also have it have this book act as a launching pad for discussions, organic conversations that they can have with their, you know, parents, with their grandparents, with educators, with administrators. I'm really trying to bridge that gap because I'm recognizing coming out of COVID, what we really need with these children, what we need to give these kids, I want to make sure I'm clear, what these children need more than ever is connection. And what does that mean? That means they need to be seen and they need to be heard. They need to know that they matter. And that means you have to, at the end of the day, I know you've had a long day and you're exhausted, but you need to shut everything off and you need to cuddle your children when they come out of the bath and grab a book and hold them close and really not hear, listen actively listen and engage. So what I did in this book, which I've never seen before, but as a, as a mother, you know, I recognize the importance of asking them questions. So what I did is I built in prompts at the end of the book and I incorporated questions for discussion. As you can see here, there's over two pages, like 14, 15 questions. So Some of the questions at the end, they're there because a lot of times like parents are tired or educators are not sure how to like, you know, engage with the children and connect with them organically. So it's built in. It's built into the story. So reading the story is great. It has a it's entertaining, beautiful illustrations. That's great. Right. But that's just the starting point. 
The magic happens when the story's over and you sit down and you have the, you know, connection with the kids and you're snuggling up with them. And then you ask them, you know what, how do you define perfect? What does perfection mean to you? Or, you know, what I ask in the classroom is, Picky Patrick had a problem. When you have a problem, do you ask for help? And I see some of the kids nodding. Most of the kids are shaking their head. Mm -hmm. No. So then I, you know, then I'm like, okay, if you're not asking for help, then how do you solve your problem? Like, what do you do? And then the kids, some of them, you know, were raising their hand. And, you know, one little boy says, well, you know, what I do is I talk to my goldfish. And I'm like, oh, I love that. I go, I never had a pet growing up. What's your goldfish's name? You know, what would what, you name your goldfish? And then, you know, a little girl, you know, says, oh, I, you know, I love to draw. So, you know, when I have a problem or I'm feeling anxious or I'm, you know, upset, I start drawing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's like a mini mastermind. They're teaching each other how to problem solve. I'm like, adults need lessons in this. Adults don't know how to do this. So that's where the magic begins. That's where it's really powerful. And as I'm sitting there and I'm asking them these thought provoking questions, you know, questions like, you know, another example is if you had the power to change, what would you change and why? So I, uh, sometimes when I'm doing a read aloud in the classroom, you know, the principal is there if I'm doing an assembly and, you know, a teacher is there and sometimes they know, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm offering and the value and the enrichment. Sometimes they say to me, Lenny, be careful. Do you really want to go there? And I'm like, that's exactly where I want to go. And you asked me, who is this book for? It's for parents, educators, you know, administrators, parents who understand that they want to leave this world a better place than they found it. Conscious parents, parents who are going to choose those books so carefully, just like the way that they agonize over choosing the right pediatrician or reading the labels on the food before they just slap something on the table. You know, parents who care, who are invested, teachers in schools who want to raise conscious human beings to become good citizens and to make an impact on this world. That's who this book is for. Wow. I'm so inspired. I can feel your passion for this just oozing, oozing. It's it's beautiful. I can't contain it. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. How it should be. So the book is called Picky Patrick. So if we want to buy it, how do we get hold of it? So Picky Patrick is sold on Amazon. And you can go to Amazon and just type in Picky Patrick. Or you can go to uh, elenifuaxis.com or thekidsrelove.com. Okay. I'll put that information in the show notes as well. So if anybody wants to find out that, you can find it out from our website at jeff-smith.com. So before we press the record button, we were having a chat. And you talk a lot about breaking out of your comfort zone and listening to your intuition. So 
What is intuition and does everyone have it? That's a great question. Absolutely, yes. Every one of us has intuition. What is intuition? Intuition is the voice that does not speak. It's the voice that is inside of you. It's the voice, the quiet voice. It's when you stop everything. And I mean everything. And you disconnect. And you sit there. And you ask yourself, who am I? And why am I here? And how can I serve? When you ask yourself that question and you truly start searching for that answer, that quiet voice, you have to lean into it. That's your intuition. It's almost like the whisper of your soul. And it's almost like you're, you're, picture yourself as a child. It's like what is in your, in your child's heart in their, their, um, when they're going to sleep at night and that's the most precious time and they're wishing for something and something is in their heart, what is in their heart? To me, that's all intuition. And when you learn to not only listen for it, um, but honor it, incredible things can happen. You know, I'm, I'm getting very emotional now. I know, me too. It makes me emotional talking about this stuff. I don't want to get sappy on you, but I was emotional before we even started. But I think it's what happens when we're talking and we're speaking from the heart. And sure, sure. A little bit I'd like to share with you because I heard this on my own journey of development. Who am I? I mean, that's such a deep question and the other thing especially i don't know whether you found this when you were writing a book it was eight years for you for for me mine took a year the first one and you get to the end of the book and you're a different person you could quite easily go right back to the beginning and say oh i could do that better now and edit and do it in a different way but you're a different person so who am I and what is my purpose? Um, that should not be taken lightly. And what I did one day, I, I finished work and I was driving home. It was dark. It was raining. It was in the middle of winter. And I went to this isolated car park. There was no one. And I just switched off the engine, switched off the light. I reclined my seat. And I thought exactly the things that you just said. Who am I? What is my purpose? What happened? Absolutely nothing. However, I persisted. And I think you need to persist on this. And, and this is the point. I did it a few times. And then things started happening. I won't say to me. I'll say for me an incredible thing happened so whoever's listening now go into the quiet it might not happen the first time it might not happen the second time but do it find a quiet space 
and just ask. Ask for guidance. Who answers? I'll say the universe. You say intuition, what, whatever it might be, but it's incredibly powerful. In fact, I'd like to do another program with you to discuss just that because I have incredible experiences in my life and it started because of doing that. Wow, so, I love that. It's yeah. a powerful. It's a powerful thing and I love what you said about not giving up and it doesn't always happen right away mm -hmm. yeah. i and guided meditation can be so helpful and i remember the day that i listened to uh, a guided meditation from deepak and oprah mm -hmm. and i it was you know who am i and i had done that meditation so many different times but i remember the day that I turned off the meditation and I was like, okay, good, I'm done. And I'm getting ready for work and I'm in the mirror. And I, there was something, it was an impression in my mind that a voice in my head saying, go sit down because you have something to say and something to write. So at that point, my children had already inspired me and were like, mom, write your stories down, write your stories down. And I was making a concerted effort to sit and write and, you know, set time aside to do writing. However, this was like, you know, trying to come out of my marriage and find myself and find my purpose and my calling. And after this meditation, there was a voice that said, go sit down because you have something to say. And I was literally saying to myself, Jeff, this is not a good time. I, I'm late for a casting. I have to get on the train. I have a million things to do. And then this voice was saying, shut up. I don't want to hear it right now. And I was like, wow, struggling with myself. And I literally, I was like, okay, okay, what is it? And I was like, wow, it's, it must sound so nutty to some of your listeners, but this is exactly, I swear to God, what was going on in my head. And I, I don't, I'm not quick on the keyboard. It was just racing, pouring out of me. And what I ended up writing was Picky Patrick. That's not the first, wow. that was not the first book that I was compiling. I have three other finished manuscripts. So when my children were saying, write your stories, I was compiling other stories. The story that poured out of me was Picky Patrick. And then I <laughs> I recognized when I read it that I was like, wow, my purpose in life is to give a voice to children that don't have a voice or parents who aren't giving them the space to speak and be heard and giving them the platform to speak in a safe space because I didn't have that growing up. And I swear it brought me to tears. Because I was like, it was such a knowing. And it was like a knowing, like knowing your birth date, like no confusion, no hesitancy, like just so concrete. And I was like, wow, this is so beautiful and unmistakable. And I was like, wow, who knew that this was, you know, my purpose? And, um, I want all of your listeners to just pursue that and embrace it and never give up on it because we all have intuition. We all have a purpose. We all have a mission that's so greater than ourselves. 
this this particular interview is incredible because we've just hit another step. And I'm going to pause and explain this step, such an important one. So that also happened to me. And here's the message I want to, to share. You've probably met someone who says, oh, I had this fantastic idea one day. In fact, I'll tell you a true story. So um, I met with this guy, he was a friend of mine, and we were having a beer, and he said, I had this idea. He said, I was driving along the road one day, and my windscreen was dirty, and I needed the wipers to clean it, and I pushed the, uh, the button to squirt water on the screen, and the washer bottle was empty. Now, that's illegal, right? So he said, but I didn't know it was empty, and I was, I was not anywhere where I could get water. So I thought, what about if you had a self-filling reservoir for your screen? He said, so I had this idea. So when it rains, the, the, the um, water runs off your car into special channels and into your water reservoir, so you never run out of water. And I said, what a fantastic idea. Wow. What a fantastic idea. I said, uh, are you going to take it to market? And he said, and here's the point, Eleni, this is the point I want to bring up. And he said, uh, somebody's already done it. They beat me to it. So here's the thing. The universe comes to you not necessarily when you're ready. Not necessarily when you're awake. It might be in your sleep and when you're waking up. But the universe comes and it gives you this information and you have to act on it now. And that's what you did. So you took action when the universe delivered and here you are. And that exactly the same thing happened with me too. Eleni, I've heard you say failure can be your best friend. So let me put you on the spot then. What is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? So everybody has a different definition of failure, right? I want to start there because you could look at my life and say, well, she's divorced, her marriage failed. And someone might say that's her greatest failure. First of all, I don't consider that a failure. Um, I have my children and I, anything that you learn from and especially, you know, had uh, children from, I don't consider that to be a failure. I've had businesses that failed because I trusted uh, the wrong people and they did, we, our values were not aligned. But you know what? I don't consider those my biggest failures. My biggest failure was listening to the wrong people and listening to the critics and listening to people who unknowingly were doing me harm. People like even my parents. I, that little girl listened to her mother and father who told her she was not good enough. And that is my biggest failure because till this day, every day, I'm reminding myself that I am worthy and that I have so much light and goodness to share and to give. And that I, that's something that 
it's it's <laughs> it's so emotional, Jeff. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm just it's so emotional. I don't even um trying to hold it together here, but that's my greatest failure. But I believed it for so long. And it took me this long to say, I'm worth it. And I have a light and I have a voice. And I have something to share with the world that's worthwhile. And it fucking pisses me off. because I'm like, I'm 52 years old. Why has it taken me this long? to learn this lesson. And I have learned so many lessons from all the other obstacles and all the other seeming failures because I've had so many. But that one is just the hardest and the toughest. But I realized that when you're a parent and you have children, anybody out there who is a mother, a parent, even grandparents, teachers, educators, you are planting seeds. You are planting seeds. So be very careful with what you're planting and how you're, you know, taking care of that garden and what you want to see, you know, um, that garden to like grow. Do you want to grow weeds and thorns or do you want it to blossom and grow sunflowers and beauty and splendor? And, you know, I think that we lose sight of that. And I, that is my mission to remind everybody out there who's working with children, who has children, who's engaged with children, who's at the park and, and sitting next to kids or whether you're on the bus next to them, that treat them with care and treat them with love and lift them up. Don't put them down. Because when you do that, it's like you are, you know, wiping out and suffocating their soul. And that is something that will impact them their entire life. And they may fight their whole life to overcome that. So it's like, I, you know, implore every, anyone listening to just plant seeds of greatness. And I hope that's what my children's books will do. That's wonderful. I'm going to rewind again. Because. Oh my gosh, please don't. I, <laughs> I'm like, all the tears and all that. I'm like, yeah. let me just get through this. I'm like, wow, it's just, I'm almost there. Let me get it out. But. Yeah, I'm going to take you back because you got really emotional there. And why did it take so long? And I'm going to ask some questions about you because I noticed this in me. So I look at photographs of myself 10 years ago. I'm not that person anymore. I'm mm. a completely different person. Now, we've spoken about the universe delivering. I want to go back to Picky Patrick, and it was um, eight years in the completion. Now, if you think of the person who you were at the beginning if you had completed it then, it wouldn't be the book that it is now. And it certainly wouldn't be as successful as it is now. So you go through the trauma that you went through and you come out the other side eight years later. And the book is as good as it is 
and as successful as it is because of that journey, because of that passion, because of all this emotion you're showing. So why did it take so long? It's because things don't happen to you. They happened for you. And I would oh say... God, that's so beautiful. And, and that's why I think it came to you when you were ready. Eight years before, you wasn't ready. <laughs> yes, Jeff. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I don't even have the words. You're making me weepy. Yes, it's so profoundly true. I believe that wholeheartedly. It, this book came out exactly when it was supposed to. Absolutely right. And the other thing, you're the other side of it now. Mm -hmm. The past is for reference. It's not for residence. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's so powerful. I do not want to live in that place. Then I am a completely different person. And you know what? I made a point of including that in the back of the book. I put a picture of myself with my children because I had a friend who was a photographer take a picture of us, you know, when I was ready to launch the book eight years ago before my marriage hit the crapper. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I took a picture recently at home intimately with just setting up my iPhone. And I included that in the back of the book because I want children to know, I want parents to know, I want everybody in the world to know that things don't always happen in our own time. Things certainly don't always happen overnight. There's gonna be struggles. I included the timeline and I said, you know what? Run your own race. Just don't give up. Don't compare yourself to anybody else run your own race, figure out what your life's passion is, stay true to yourself and stay on that journey. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to rewind again. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but back to the first five minutes, because you talked about facing your fears and we've not spoken about what fear is. And many, many people fail to get traction on their goals and aspirations because they get paralyzed with fear. So how might we move forward in our life in the presence of fear and the unknown? What did you do to overcome your fears? And do you know what fear is? That's a great question. So I think that truly fear is everybody's definition of fear is different. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, fear is, of course, it's always the unknown, right? But it goes beyond that. So when you figure out what your life's purpose is and your journey is, then you start to listen, go beyond that. Like, what's my fear about that? So if it's about writing a book, if it's about, you know, becoming an attorney, if it's about becoming a, a ballerina, if it's about whatever it is, why am I afraid to pursue that? So, and then really listen, because I, I feel like everybody has a different definition. So for me, you know, I looked at fear as for sure, it's the unknown, 
but it was also invisible enemies that were standing in the way and rejecting me. And it was also um, a lot of people call it imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and the fear of not being good enough. For me, that was like one of the most profound fears. And that that was true every time I launched a new career, especially now as a first time author. I'm like, oh, people are not going to take me seriously. People are, you know, I'm an actress and a model. What could I possibly have to offer? I'm not married to Matthew McConaughey. Like, who's going to read my book? Who's going to buy my book? I'm not Michelle Obama. I'm all kinds of, you know, negative voices in my head. And then I have to step back and take that fear and that negative voice and that negative belief and flip it upside down. So what I say is, okay, I'm not, I know I'm not Michelle Obama, but I am a Lenny and I am unique and I have my own message and my own voice. And there is power in that. And when you start to love yourself and know yourself and your self-worth, then there is no fear that can take you off your path and shake you off your ground. You may get distracted and you may get thrown and you may get punched and you, Lord knows I have <laughs> been so punched and bruised. And, but your core foundation will be there. Um, there is nothing that I am afraid of now because I know my, my worth and I know my mission and it's a, you know, it's part of who I am. It's part of my DNA. I know that nothing is going to get in my way. So when you have that immovable belief, um, it's just freeing. It's so damn liberating. It's like, I don't have anything to be afraid of. It's like, okay, I'm not going to succeed now, or here's another obstacle, but it's like, oh, okay. When I, when I come across an obstacle, I'm like, wow, I'm one step, one step closer. I'm one step closer. And every time there's an obstacle, I stop and I ask myself, what is it here to teach me? And if I don't listen, if I don't get the lesson, I don't move on because I'm like, I know that there's a lesson there. And recently I was doing this. I was like, oh, what's the lesson in this? I'm not getting it. I'm so distracted. I need to get quiet. I need to, what is the lesson here? I'm always asking that question. So if you're looking at it as a pupil and as a student, because I love self-education, obviously I'm a teacher and a mother and all that good stuff, but we're teaching ourselves, you know, to explore and be curious. And these are things we want to pass on to our children as well. And as adults, we lose that. That's a muscle. So start exercising it. That's what I would love to say to your audience, exercise that muscle. And then you know, it becomes fun. And that's when you lose the fear. And that's when it becomes liberating. When you say, you know what, I'm going to explore even even in relationships. I mean, I was married for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, I entered the dating world. And there was Tinder and Bumble and OMG. I was like, wow. When I met my husband, there was no 
social media. There were no dating apps. And I was like, I had to relearn how to like get back out there and how to put myself out there and how to put myself back together again. And like how to even take risks and, you know, just feeling good enough or pretty enough to get out there and actually go on a date and meet a man for a drink. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but when you've done your work and it is work, when you've done your work and you know your purpose and then you move past that fear, then nothing can stop you. I truly believe that. All right, let's go to the flip side of that then. What would you consider to be your greatest achievement? By far, my children. I just knew you were going to say that. (laughs) It's it's these beautiful boys that I've brought into the universe a thousand times over my greatest achievement. And it's not just because I had kids. There's a lot of people that, you know, are having kids. And I, I don't say that lightly. Like You can birth a child, but it's being a mother. Mm-hmm. And a best friend. It's like being a, and a best friend. And of course, like just guiding these children and being there, their support and giving them, you know, the unwavering support and the unconditional love. Because I feel mm-hmm. like there's so many parents who like, you know, love their kids most when they're playing their sport of choice or dating the boy that they, you know, want them to date or doing the things they want them to do. We have to love them when they're being messy and when they're making mistakes and when they're, you know, don't want to wake up or don't want to help around the house. They're like, that's, you know, when we really rise and shine as parents, when we're loving them unconditionally. And um, I'm proud of myself because I didn't have that as an example growing up. But I do remember when I was young saying, if I ever have children, I will love them unconditionally. There will will never be a single condition for their love. And um, so that's by far my greatest accomplishment because they're incredible, kind, compassionate young men. Well, Zen and Billy, if you're listening, you now have it officially on record and you can play this to your mom anytime you like. <laughs> okay, I, I ask this to everyone. What's the most important thing you've ever learned? I've learned that through life, you have to just surround yourself with the right people and be your greatest cheerleader because Nobody else is going to believe in you the way that you can and the way that you do. Absolutely. Love that. So, Elena, you've been through a lot of pain in your life, but right now, what does success look like to you? Success right now is, I love that question because right now, Success does not match up with most people's definition of success. My Mm -hmm. success right now is definitely not matching up with most what most people define as success. So what does that mean? Right now, my bank account is not at its highest. Right now, I am not in a marriage. Right now, um, you know, maybe not living in, you know, the way that I want to be living. However, however, I am at the most successful stage 
of my life by far. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. I would love to continue talking with you because there's so much more we have to discuss. I think we'll have to do this show once again when you get your next book. And Picky Patrick for children, yes. I think there's also one for adults that you also need to write. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll even help you and guide you on your way with that one because wow. your passion just cannot be wasted. So listen to your intuition on that one. So, Eleni, if someone wants to reach out to you, how do they contact you? So you can go to thekidswelove.com and just click the connect button. That will also take you to my website, elenifuaxis.com. You can message me there. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm sure you'll link it all in the yep, show notes. I'll, I'll put the stuff in the show <laughs> DM notes. DM me and message me. and yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> well, that's it today. Eleni, you have been truly amazing. Thank you so much sparing the time with me. I mean, you're in New York, I'm in England, we're an ocean apart, time zones apart, but we still make it happen. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed having you on the show. Well, My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, it's wonderful. You must come back. So there you go for today. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I hope you enjoyed the show and it's helped you to ignite your passion your catalyst for action and giving you the fuel you need to realize your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button and make sure you don't miss any new episodes. Leave a review and share. You know, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Maybe we can make a difference to someone else's life. So please go ahead, lick the li- uh, hit the like button and share with a friend. On another note... I'm always searching for great success stories. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com. You know, I'd really, really love to hear from you and to welcome you onto the show. That's all from me today. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful day.